Hello, everyone. Welcome to my show, Confession of a Futurist with Sanjeev Goyal. We have this weekly show on every Wednesday at 3.30. We bring mavericks, thought leaders who are really talking about the problem of 2050. So why that is relevant to us? We all know the global population is growing. We are expected to be 10 billion by 2050. Are we ready? Are we equipped? What can we do today so we are well prepared for 2050? And that's the reason I started this show. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Anita. She has done phenomenal work in innovation. So Anita, now you are doing two startups at the same time. And one is an AR space. Would you like to talk about that? Thanks for that nice kind introduction. I am a co-founder of a company called AB Plus Ventures. It is an AI venture studio. It's you know where our fundamental focus is to build tools, technologies, and solutions, and commit over a long, decade-long vision to ensure that we play our role in bringing some of these technologies, but ensuring impact is cost as a result of that. AI is going to disrupt everything, and automation is a big thing this decade. Everything we touch, feel, hear, live socially, learning, you take any facet of our life, it's going to be automated to some degree. You know, efficiency is a big driver as to why both the, the corporate world and the startup world are both equally excited. And this is where we are slowly migrating towards that very layer we talk about singularity, where things are going to probably foresee in the foreseeable future to also long, long short future, how the, machine, the very machines that we are training right now and we're building will eventually take over our lives in every form and fashion. But for that to happen, you need to have the base layer of infrastructure and AI is driving a fair bit of that today. Absolutely. So, which is one of the reasons we are excited about, you know, looking at artificial intelligence in any method or means where we can build things, kind of going back to the building board at this point. Yeah, you know, I love the idea and we talked about it a couple of months ago, how you are doing it. It's a very innovative concept. We know it's a need of the hour. And this is exactly the questions I'm asking and I'm really glad you are focused mm -hmm. on solving these problems. So Anita, based on my research and understanding, mm -hmm. there are challenges for humanity mm -hmm. and there are broader mm -hmm. underlying too, but one is food, second is energy, mm -hmm. third is health, and the fourth is money. And mm -hmm. why I picked these four, we can talk about that in some other show, but these are the four key areas I believe if we focus as a group, we collaborate at mm -hmm. every single level. That's what I believe in because we need collaboration from governments, we need collaboration from private companies, we need collaboration from education institution. All of us have to figure out a way. Once we somehow solve one or multiple of these problems, it can be a, I believe it is going to create not only great opportunities, it's going to create the foundation for our future. So coming back to the foundational layer, you talk a lot about money. You talk a lot about blockchain. You talk a lot about crypto. You even talk about Bitcoin and all of that. I don't want our conversation to be really around Bitcoin because it is a vehicle. People consider it an investment vehicle. That's their choice. Money, it's a transactional mechanism. I want to buy something for you. And in exchange, I pay you money. So you can use the same money to buy something else. So in reality, it is a better version of barter. Mm -hmm. Now, 
to make it more interesting, we are going to Mars. We are going to have colonies on Mars. So I don't think our green bills will work there. So what do you think about the future of money from the perspective of transaction? I think governments are thinking about it now. Again, whether proactive or reactive, it doesn't matter. One way or another, the whole world for the first time is thinking money, but not money in the sense of what we think is actual only cash or the different instruments of cash that we use for transactions. But what exactly value money represents, right? So the more and more we talk about money these days, we talk about value. Because fundamentally, it's the value that drives how you transact with each other and how you set the value in the first place. So part of the reason we hear so much around Bitcoin and blockchain and some of these technologies in the context of money, particularly in the context of financial services, is because what the blockchain conversation is driving is around value. It's a store of value. And then once you start raising the question around value, then you start questioning, how do you trade value? And what are the different methods you actually use to trade that value? How do you determine value? How do you generate value? But how do you move value around? So that kind of goes back to, if you want to like go back and take a, almost like an anthropological take on money, to your point, like, you know, yeah, there were many different systems through people transaction, transacted. Yeah. And, you know, before, of course, gold became a standard. And then even if you go way before that, cows and chickens, like every single thing represented something where you traded. So trading is a really interesting underlying concept. We only talk about trading from a money perspective, but at the end of the day, we are trading an exchange, trade an exchange of goods and services. What If there's no exchange of goods and services, there's no real money or currency to begin with. Precisely. Right? So that replacement is what's actually beginning to happen. And we are back at that very phase of that next generation of how do we exchange value? How do you create value? How do you now trade value? And would the, the, the previous generation methods and means, would they cut it anymore going forward? So, because everything, I mean, like if you zoom back a little bit, if you're going to Mars and if you're, you know, beginning to kind of like, you know, even if you don't go, we've literally witnessed with Virgin Galactic, the first space tourism. So whether we go to live there or we make a trip there, it doesn't matter. Our planet horizon is expanded and made it a possibility, of course, not for the ones who can afford it, but very soon the democratization of the price means our highway has changed fundamentally. So in order for that to do that, we're still now transacting in the current financial ecosystem and banks play a very central role in that. Exactly. So you have both the central banks, you have the state banks, you have local banks, the private banks and the banking consortiums globally, because of globalization and global trade, we have all kinds of regulatory bodies that basically controls this exchange of both value, this exchange of goods and services, yeah. both on the production side, but also on the distribution side, on the consumption side. So, but if you remove all of those layers, there are only two parties involved. Current system is built on hierarchies. Yeah. That's why we have all kinds of intermediaries, right? But if you look at ultimately between, hey, Sanjeev, I need to send you a thousand dollars and I were supposed, you know, you were supposed to receive thousand dollars. In order for this facilitation of a transaction, we have a thousand different parties that play a role. Exactly. Partly because, because of the trust factor. So trust has become a very, very important conversation again in the, in the very context of the money that we're bringing up. If you talk about Anita, it's always about trust. The reality is, mm -hmm. whether it's Bitcoin or it's American currency or it's Euro or it's Pound mm -hmm. or it's Australian dollars or Indian currency, all mm -hmm. of those, there's a trust. Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, 
who is the person who is the like finally the keeper of the trust because in reality it's the keeper mm -hmm. of the trust and that's the one big reason uh, in uh, when we talk about crypto or Bitcoin or any other mm -hmm. currency like that, the trust is like, oh, there is a finite supply of what? Oh, there is some numbers. In reality, mm -hmm. there's some bunch of numbers, right? Now, in uh, when we talk about American dollars, the trust is by in the American government and our systems. When we talk about mm -hmm. Chinese currencies, a very different uh, way it is structured. So there is a different level of trust. So we know the reality is we need an instrument to exchange goods and services because if mm -hmm. there is no exchange, it is very hard to transact because you need different things. I need different things. We all need. So there is definitely a need of currency. I'm very clear with that. It's not like you can eliminate mm -hmm. currency and go back to the olden days. So we are, as a society, especially after or in the COVID era, realize we are more connected than ever. We try to mm -hmm. isolate ourselves. We try to say, oh, no, no, I won't let you come in into Santa Clara. I won't let you come in into Nevada. I won't let you come to Las Vegas. People have gone really territorial. In fact, there are some communities that says they completely locked down. There are apartment complexes where they say, I won't let anybody come in. Now, who is deciding mm -hmm. that, how the trust is being created or violated is very interesting, but we still need a vehicle or an instrument to exchange goods and services. Correct. When you talk about the role of the bank, which we were talking even earlier, in your opinion, is the role of bank is going to be AI based systems or something else? And then where will the trust come? So yeah, that's actually a good question. So technically banking system, again, since we raised this topic around money, to make money, to move money, to distribute it, to, to produce it, exchange, creation of value systems around it, you're talking about a whole set of infrastructure layers. So banking system became that infrastructure layer that controlled moving of the money. Both of the production, like who mints money? That's a federal bank, right? So you have both the federal state in the United States context. But if you go to India, it's like central bank and the state banks. So regardless of that, government played a very critical role in controlling money production, setting of the currency, whatever the currency that that country represents mm -hmm. and trading that currency and setting the exchange rates between that to the global trade framework. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, how do you move money? So all of the regulation really comes because who's the custodian of money? Who's exactly. making the money? Who's printing, who's printing the money? That's what we're doing now. Who prints the money? Who stores the money? Who's in charge of moving the money? So if you literally think about really three things that really matter in the world is Everything that we live, our life is around movement of people, goods, and money. So how do you move them? Everything is built around a fabric of that. So yeah. money is a critical component on how do you move because everything has certain value and the value could be a price. But there's a, again, this is where all the global economics comes into play of how do you, you know, is a demand versus supply? What is the value of each commodity, each, each thing that we create, and yeah. who is the buyer? But if you strip all of those layers, Really, there's always a buyer and a seller. No matter how you look at it, there's a buyer and a seller. It's ultimately is an exchange between two parties that became a multi-party infrastructure because of the regulatory framework. Mm -hmm. That is also why, because of the trust. The core essential part is who's controller of the trust, who's creating the trust. So you trust me and I trust you. Bank became that primary role 
where because they are a custodian, which is why they're licensed to be a formal custodian. It takes a lot of money to actually get licenses because you're a money transmitter. For that also you have your own licenses. So every bank has a ton of different licenses that are regulated by both the state, city, federal, municipal, whatever level that's controlling it. And because of that, they became the verifier and the authenticator of that transaction. So ultimately they're nothing but an intermediary, right? Because it's your money, it's my deposit, your deposits, our money, they store it and they became a custodian because they have the licenses needed to do that. And every time you wanna like pull money out or put money in or move the money from this account to that account, they're the ones who have the full visibility of all the accounts because you've given them an explicit consent to see your books, see everybody's books. So Anita, and once they do that, they, they can verify the transaction. I agree completely. And I understand that. And we, the word understand. But if I look at it as a Joe, average Joe, you, know, you are an expert mm -hmm. of money. I'm not. I'm still trying to figure it out what that really means. Because every country I go, I have to go and change my money. So it's, okay, so mm -hmm. it's really just paper, which the people believe in that this paper has value. In reality, it's got mm -hmm. to that point. And when we talk about printing, now the printing is not even required. You press a button and the bunch of trillion dollar added into the dollar bills because in reality, there is no printing really required because most of the money is exchanged mm -hmm. electronically, right? So why do I need- Yeah, it's digits, bills? it's bytes. It's all digital, right? It's bits so, and bytes. Yeah, and the bank is paying my financial, uh, my mortgage lender, mm -hmm. all those things. It's just all that mm -hmm. is going electronically. So there is no suitcase full of money going from one place to other place. So the challenge I still see from the regulatory mm -hmm. perspective, one is how do they ensure the trust? Mm -hmm. Because the trust is definitely number one factor, and that's the rare, that's the biggest reason we have the different uh, conversion from one country currency to other country currency. Mm -hmm. Second problem yeah. is how do you create an environment where people can use this transactional vehicle easily and efficiently? especially in the digital mm -hmm. world, because now the transaction is mostly digital, right? So ease of use. Correct. Now, mm -hmm. we all know because of the banking systems, uh, everything is so centralized that in the COVID, early COVID part of the COVID, the biggest concern I have is what will happen if I can't access my bank account? What will happen if mm -hmm. I can't access our financial, uh, our basically Wall Street, NASDAQ and all mm -hmm. of those? What will happen if any of those things goes down? It is going to be catastrophic. Mm -hmm because it's all digital. I have nothing in my house. So I, I cannot buy anything. Even if the goods are available, I can't buy anything. So that's one interesting thing, question I have in my mind as average Joe. And second question is, is the money created to tax me? Because if there is no money exchange, there is no tax. Like I provide a service or you provide a service. And if there is no money being exchanged, there is no tax. Since we are talking about global economy, now how do you tax? America is the only country, as far as no, there may mm -hmm. be other countries. If you have income from other countries, in other countries, and you're even living there, you still have to pay US taxes. Now, that create a very interesting environment for mm -hmm. citizens. So I don't want to change the topic, but in reality, when I go deeper, I'm seeing is, mm -hmm. is it something for uh, controlling me? So I pay taxes on time? That's in fact, you know, whether it's a, you know, leaving the politics aside, of, but it's a fair question to ask. Because at the end of the day, how did the regulation come about? Regulation came about based on how we started behaving around money, right? And what we ended up doing with that money that we created and how we did, ended up doing the value generation and who decided to be the supplier and the 
the producer and the buyer and the consumer. And as the markets evolved, particularly after the globalization, you know, the 70s onwards, when even Asia started participating in the globalization movement, you know, the one good thing about Richard Nixon is he actually opened up China to the United States in 71 when he went and gave this really big friendship speech, which formalized the opening, the official opening of conversation, the dialogue between United States and China. And in fact, the whole diplomacy was called ping pong diplomacy because the first set of people who went back and forth were the ping pong players. But much. that made you know perfect sense because hey, the, most of the West was involved in globalization. Asia was completely cut off, but that's the next biggest market. And we cannot wait for them to join. We have to like push it to join, join us, which is what ended up happening. And we've literally seen where, seen where China has really grown to, right? Almost about to dethrone the United States to be the singular power at the top, but because of the global economics, but there's an aspect of the industrial world and how we produce goods and services and tangible things had a lot of value. But then as we were shifting towards the knowledge, we started valuing knowledge a lot more, but the digital world, the, we're part of the digital revolution right now. That means anything that we physically touch has a digital value as well, not only the physical part. That's when now we are talking about assets, not in a physical world. We're also talking about assets in the digital world. So in order for me to now assetize something, whether it's directly connected to the physical world or creating in itself a digital asset, which becomes extremely important as to why we're talking about networks and protocols and no longer just the intermediary hierarchies of systems, because that was a very fragmented regulatory environment where each country decided, but political, economic, other risks played a huge role as to which government you trust and what currency you pegged everything to. So in that sense, the United States continues to be the so-called the stable economy where the whole global currency is pegged against. Yeah. But China has its own, both political and economic ambitions where they say, no, we don't want a party. We don't want to follow the United States. We want to create our own. But China, because of the time and place, we're in the 21st century in 20, 2000, 2010, 2021, they have heavy investments into the future technologies. So if you're going to play and developing an entire digital economy, the very infrastructure we talk about has to be different. That means our reliance cannot be on a traditional regulatory bodies. We have to move things globally as if it's one planet. It's no longer the boundary. That's true. And that's the biggest question I have for myself and you know, people mm -hmm. like us who are playing at the global scale. We are working in uh, multiple countries one way or the other way mm -hmm. and traveling extensively. Movement is more fluid now and the, the boundaries Correct. are shrinking. Because of that, we have to not only upgrade the infrastructure and that infrastructure is no longer the regulation method. At the end of the day, regulate, why does regulation exist? We need regulation. We need regulation so the vulnerable are not taken advantage of. That's the ultimate thing. But not to slow the very evolution of how money systems should work. And in that equation comes artificial intelligence, how we're going to leverage algorithms, right? How are we going to leverage? In fact, 80% of all the trading is done by algorithms. So, you know, hopefully 100% so we are completely out of the picture because we're obviously too slow, not that efficient not consistent. So there are many reasons why we are no longer, humans are no, human intelligence is no longer gonna cut it for certain tasks in the financial ecosystem. But comes also now the layer of blockchain means, hey, internet was a protocol architecture. Mm -hmm. How do we upgrade that protocol architecture which allows any node anywhere in the world to be instantly connected? That means the peer-to-peer -peer framework is really what's kicked in because of the blockchain infrastructure. Right. Instead of a centralized, we're looking at distributed and decentralized.
That means by the very token and the layer of that, we are bypassing all the regulatory environments around the world, not only United States. I can I could be sitting in Peru and you know you're sitting there and I'm sitting in another country. We can transact through this simple protocol architecture blockchain, but of course a lot more to it than that with the smart contract mechanism. I can transfer and complete a transaction, eliminating the 10 layers of intermediaries that banks serve to verify. Because every single party on the stakeholder on the chain cannot see the transaction in real time and being complete. So I don't need any other. So the trust is programmed at the software layer. So that's where the trust comes full circle here is ultimately if your institution played the role to be the trusted party, you become banks are the trusted central repositories. Yeah. We no longer want the central repository. We want the distributed or decentralized repositories. That means the speed at which we can move things in the digits, basically it's all bits and bytes and bits and bytes means we are fast replacing hierarchies with networks. Yeah. Means the future policy, the role of regulation is governance. So now we can regulate through a protocol, not policy. So that's when it becomes really, really important. It's like, you know, we have to start rethinking what policy is. Because sure. policy is an instrument that's basically deployed by a government designed looking at a whole bunch of other variables. And that's why you can go into deep economics to technical, any kind of policy but it's an instrument to benefit and create a framework within which innovation, anything that's want to happen can flourish. Sure. Where individual citizens can play a role, whether, again, this is also where, what is an entity, what is an individual, what is a government no longer makes any sense because I can be my own government, I can be an individual like a citizen, but I can also be in my own entity now. So when the very structures are beginning to shake and we're seeing the promise of this convergence of these technologies and how quickly means the next wave of what we see infrastructure being built is gonna be based on this philosophical mechanism because one, it can be deployed instantly and where entrepreneurs can play a big role because I can build from scratch. Why would I go back and build the way it was built before? I'm gonna build based on what's available to me, to me today. And that's where M-Pesa for me is one of my favorite examples of money because mobile first, no longer web first, right? mobile first, but M-Pesa is connected to your cell phone minutes, not a stable economy or currency. That means now I can use anything to transact, not just money in the way we think about it. So that's where it becomes really, really exciting. I love to talk to you for hours. You know, we are almost at the end of our show. I want to thank you for your time. It was interesting and great conversation for our audience. What I really learned is, there are networks and the networks are pretty much run even today on TCP IP. If you are a geek, you can look it up and there are seven layers. Correct, of course. So these are protocols, right? So now we need these seven layers for the money and somebody has to define it. It can't be defined by just one country or one government or one person. We need mm -hmm. to think new ways. How do we define these protocols? Because then we can govern or not govern, we can regulate and manage the trust because in the end, money is nothing, just a trust. Mm -hmm. That transfer to one person, to other person, to other person, as long as we have that trust, money has value. The trust is gone, money has no value. We saw in the countries where the money has fallen, we saw American dollar is stable and is growing. It's all about the trust world has put in us, not just mm -hmm. us. 
Thank you very much, Anita. I also want to thank our sponsors, NTTVC, IIT Delhi Excellence Foundation, Radio Zindagi, and Royces for this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure, Sanjay. I'm looking forward to the next one.